Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with Serene C. She's an author and advocate and an adventurer and she's the author of The Eve in All of Us. How are you doing today, Serene? I am doing wonderful. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you. How are you today? I'm doing well. It, it, it's been a day, but I, I'm doing well. Yes, it is. Yeah, so for those who may not know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about why you have, have you always been a writer? Did you, is, what made you write this book? So, Courtney, I've been writing for a very long time, probably since I was 18, um, and I did it inconsistently, mm-hmm. and I was writing fiction, mm-hmm. so I never wrote about my personal life because I didn't think my life was exciting enough, and then the places where maybe it could have been exciting enough, I didn't have enough answers to what was going on until I was 45 years old and I, I met my birth family. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so when that happened, it was so fresh. I kind of wanted to process it. I have to have time to kind of let things marinate and sink in. And then in 2019, my daughter passed away. So writing has always been my personal salvation. And I knew uh, from past experience that writing a miracle a day is life-changing. And so I made a commitment to myself beginning in 2020, I'm going to write a miracle a day to help me deal with the grief of losing my daughter. And I always had an intention on publishing it but now that I look back at it, I don't know if I told too much, if I kept it too raw, but I'm I'm glad that it turned out the way that it did because it's from an honest place and I think it's resonating with people because of that. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think authenticity of the and the human experience always resonates, absolutely. So how did your daughter pass? So she had two cysts. She had ovarian cysts. And one of those cysts attached to the wall of her intestines and created a hole. So that that hole leaked her intestinal fluid all over her body. So she died from sepsis. Yeah. 
Wow. Wow. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's been pretty difficult. You know, sepsis is like the number one cause of death in hospitals. Yeah. And she was actually in the hospital when she passed away. Wow. Wow. Um, do you think it could have, there was anything that could have been done or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I'm going to be pursuing um, in the immediate future. I definitely know it was more that could have been done. Yeah. 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 Wow. I'm so sorry. So this book that you wrote, it was it about your daughter or what? Yeah. It was about everything. So one of the one of the themes in the book is dealing with grief. I never lost someone very close to me. I lost my father a couple of years ago, but at that time in my life we weren't close. So to lose someone that immediate to me and then someone I gave birth to someone I thought yeah. I would leave before they did it was devastating and I was warned like the first year is going to be the hardest so yeah. I was warned about it and I just I, I had to I had to figure out how to go through the process without it leading me to go through depression because I've dealt with severe depression my whole life. I've dealt with PTSD. So I didn't want to be re-triggered into those things, into those old patterns. So I had to, you know, be very conscientious about my spiritual practice and, and the miracle, writing down a miracle every day was one of those. But what happened Courtney is within the first 30 days, I started noticing things. So one of the things was love, you know, situations with narcissists that I loved and then a twin flame love situation that kind of came up in the year. Wow. And then the other was just the freaking pandemic because the pandemic was not planned. Like... <laughs> I literally have a book where the pandemic is the backdrop and it was just, it was an amazing space to be in because it felt like we were in a cocoon almost. Mm -hmm. We were doing, I was doing the miracles. We were doing everything we were supposed to do in terms of social distancing and, you know, mm -hmm. staying at home. Mm -hmm. um, except for the essential workers in our family, we have quite a few essential workers in the family. And so we were doing what we were supposed to do. Sure. And, you know, we, we, I, I looked at it as a blessing for us to just be together as a family during that time. I really tried to make the best out of it. And I was writing a book in the process. So it just turned out, it just turned out to be this really beautiful, cathartic experience where I could go off on tangents, I could get deep and weird because I love being weird. <laughs> I could get deep and I could get weird and I didn't have to show up at anybody's job and try to act like I was normal, especially that first six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's definitely a blessing because I think, sorry, there's a fly that keeps landing on me. <laughs> Just suddenly found me very interesting now that I've begun to talk. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, there definitely during that time, you know, it, it was to 
it's definitely a blessing for you to be not going into a day-to-day job. What were you doing before, before you wrote this book? So my background is in insurance. Mm-hmm. And I winded up getting a job in insurance in the middle of the pandemic. So I landed my ideal position, worked wow. from home, really good money, you know, really good company, day one benefits. I landed that position in like June of 2020. Wow. So, yeah, it was amazing. It was one of my miracles. Yeah. So I, I think that's amazing that you turned a, a loss, a tragic loss into a, uh, a journey of really gratitude and appreciation for the miracles that exist. Most people don't even look for miracles, let alone are able to see them. Um, I, I feel like you were going to say something. Yeah. No, Courtney, really and truly, like I think a part of what's happening now is there is a massive shift. Mm-hmm. Like when I actually left the, the job I was at previously, I left in that at, in December of 2019 mm-hmm. because they only wanted to give me two weeks off to grieve my daughter. And I just felt oh. like that's just, that's, that's inhumane. Like, Right. There's no way I'm going to process the loss of my daughter in two weeks. Right. So I actually put in my two weeks notice. I started 2020 with no job. And the positions would pop in and then they disappear because of the pandemic. And then I had a position that came through from a company that is very hard to get on. I'm not going to give them free advertising right now. But um, I did land a position with them. But then they were treating their employees so bad. It was making the news. So wow. I, was, yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna just trust. I'm going to trust that this isn't it. And I'm going to keep going. And, you know, we weren't starving. There was never a day where we had to get into a food line. There was never a day when something got turned off. We really were in a state. I, I feel like it, it was almost a or a bubble and I think a part of it was when you notice those miracles Courtney they start expanding they started growing and getting so much bigger than than I had ever thought they would get that it just became I'm not gonna say beautiful moment to beautiful moment because I was grieving too And I was scared. I was, you know, I did have moments where I was scared. And then we had the issues with racial injustice. And so all of this was happening all at the same time. And the practice of sitting down and just going through your day and finding out what was beautiful and what was wonderful about that day, it's almost like the universe says, yes, Here's somebody paying attention. Let me just throw some more at this person. Let me just, you know, create more experiences like this for this person. It really was about focus, how the focus makes something bigger. Yeah, absolutely. I and I I I think the the attitude of gratitude was very instrumental, you know, because it I think it's really hard for, if you don't, if you, you know, the saying like count your blessings and if you don't, then 
all you see are all the things that you don't have or that aren't going well. And it's very hard to have space, even if good things do come, it's really hard to recognize them and appreciate them. And then it's really hard for more to, to hold the space for more to come in. So I, I think that that's a really beautiful lesson that you know, people can learn from you. Um, and I think that's really incredible that you were able to do that in a time of such grief and loss. Um, and I'm interested in your, um, I, I, you, you had written that uh, you're, you were like a miracle baby, essentially, right? Well, my birth story was a miracle. I don't know if my mom and dad would consider me a miracle baby. They probably do. Um, but I'm a botched abortion survivor. So my grandmother gave my mother something that was supposed to abort me. My mom was like 17 years old. She already had my sister. And so my grandmother being a person she is, she was a preacher's wife mm -hmm. and supposedly a preacher pastor herself. And so it was quite embarrassing for her to have a daughter out here pregnant back to back like this. Mm -hmm. And so she gave my mother something that was supposed to abort me. It didn't work. But the moment that I was born, she kidnapped me. And my mother didn't see me again for 45 years. Wait, who kidnapped you? My grandmother. Wow. Yeah, she helped deliver me and then she kidnapped me. She basically told my mom she took me to the county hospital, but she did not. So I wound up being in the hospital and then I was adopted within a couple, the, the adoption process supposedly started as a newborn when I was like a couple of hours or a couple of days old. Mm -hmm. So all of those things were hidden from me. I knew that I'd been left as a baby. I knew that I'd been adopted right away, but it took me 45 years to get those answers. It took 45 years. And I, I think that's one of the other things in the book. So much of my life mirrored my mother's life. She was married I got married at 18. She had officially three children. I had three children by the time I was like 21. We both were married for about the same time, that first time we were married. And then we both had the same type of relationship the second time we were in long-term relationships. So there, there's this, this epigenetic mm -hmm. strain in a lot of people's lives that they don't realize they're repeating patterns that really don't have anything to do with who they are, what they value and what they're about right now. But you couldn't tell me that, you couldn't tell me I wasn't making my own choices mm -hmm. and I wasn't you know, making my own decisions, but I was following in the exact footsteps of my mother. Wow. And did you know, did you know your mom's path? No. So it was just, I, I just like what my mother looked like. I didn't, I had nothing. I was kidnapped. So when I say I was kidnapped, it, it wasn't the typical adoption story where this person has records in a hospital with their original oh, name. Right. 
and they know exactly what time they were born and this and that. No, I was kidnapped. I was literally taken from my screaming, sobbing mother into the night. And, wow. and I, you know, I disappeared. At, at what uh, week was this? Because this was supposed to be an abortion? Yeah, so I was about five pounds, eight ounces in the hospital. I remember seeing that. So I wasn't early, early, and my mom is very small, and I was a very small baby. So I wasn't early, early. I could survive, but people, when, when I was in the hospital, people really thought I was only 24 hours old. I was just that tiny. And it turns out I had been missing for five days. So when I tell you... <laughs> When I tell you my life has been shaped by narcissists, because my grandmother was a grandiose narcissist. My life was shaped by that narcissist from the day I entered the world. And then again, when I was in my adopted family, because my adopted family was full of narcissists. So we just went over, Courtney, the three themes that are in my book. One of them <laughs> is dealing with narcissists because they're everywhere. <laughs> And the, the second is grief is real. And then the third is, is the miracle of love and the miracle of love from the universe, mm -hmm. love for your family and for humanity. Like those are the three things that are weaved inseparably in my book. And I'm, you know, showing different miracles that occurred throughout the year surprises the universe had for me it was just it was an amazing year wow yeah it sounds like it it absolutely sounds like it do you know why your grandmother kidnapped you yes it was a part of her her making sure her image mm -hmm. was not going to be damaged by a new grandchild mm -hmm. and I personally believe that we plan our challenges. I do believe in pre-birth planning and I do believe we reincarnate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think this was a part of the challenge that I planned for myself. And I, I wanna say this too. I know a lot of people feel like reincarnation is way out there, it's completely unprovable, blah, blah, blah. I had a, a, an experience though that really proved to me in a in a low key way in such a in such a nuanced way that I really didn't get it until last year, Courtney. Mm -hmm. So my son, he just turned 17 today. Happy birthday. <laughs> now, this is my miracle kid, like really and truly. All all the children are blessed miracles. They're all healthy. Thank you, God. All all of that, you know, I can say about all the children, but the reason why I say this about this particular child is this was his father's first child and his dad is, was 50 at the time. Okay. Then he wasn't supposed to have children. He had a, a condition in his 20s. So he had surgery and, you know, that surgery, after that surgery, they told him, you'll never have children. So I already had three children. I wasn't expecting to have any more and bam. But the most amazing thing besides those two things, <laughs> pretty uh, yeah. the most amazing thing, Courtney, is the, the night that 
he was conceived, we knew immediately. Mm-hmm. I turned to his dad and I said, did you feel that? And he was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, I found out I'm pregnant. Fast forward again to when my son is about four years old. I want to say he was maybe four, three, four, five. Along in there when they start talking really good. <laughs> and he said, um, he would say this all the time, Courtney. He said, Mama, I remember when I was in heaven and I saw you and my daddy. And I decided I wanted to be with y'all. So I jumped into your stomach. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> when he was saying this, this little kid, I'm like, this wow. kid has such an imagination. <laughs> <laughs> but I started thinking about it last year when I really was looking at what happened with my daughter and how I was prepared for her death like months in advance I was prepared for her death and I started thinking about you know the little other little kids who have these you know memories of past lives or they remember something from when they were you know planning to come Mm -hmm. so I really and truly believe that I chose the experience of being kidnapped, of being separated from my family for most of my adult life and all of my childhood as a, as a way to work on certain spiritual principles that I knew I needed to strengthen. So I don't have any resentment or anger towards my grandmother. I feel like she knew that I was going to be the one that was going to challenge her. So she got rid of me. (laughs) So she got rid of me. And um, that's fine. That's, you know, because I didn't have a bad life. Even though I was surrounded by narcissists, I still cannot say that my life was the horrible um constant sense of deprivation and loss that a lot of people experience in an adoption setting or what a lot of people experience when they're away from their family I really see where they tried they really were giving what they believed was their best Mm -hmm. and so I can't fault them I can't fault them for that 
Yeah, no. I, and so again, I see this theme of like gratitude, appreciation, um, and recognition for miracles. And I think that is so incredibly beautiful, acknowledgement of miracles. And I was saying that I very much that I'm curious about your uh, perspective on life, because I don't know if you know, but we were like, we're something like one in 400 trillion chance of being born. Uh, right. Which is really quite a miracle. And I think, you know, your story is testament to what a miracle uh, life is. And from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you have a tremendous uh, appreciation and gratitude for life. Um, So I'd love to hear you talk about that and uh, how your experience from your childhood and knowing the story of your birth um, and how they you weren't uh, how they tried not to allow you to have that um, but it's your spirit continued to persist and here you are and and then also to think about you know that the flip side of that is losing a loved one when you'd never expect to lose a child before you know we always expect that the parents will go before the children so Absolutely. So I I think the I think an an adoptee has every right to be angry, mm-hmm. every right to to feel disillusioned, mm-hmm. every right to feel whatever it is they feel. I'm not I'm not going to judge an adoptee who's at a different stage of processing the the adoption experience I will say I went through that I went through the anger I went through being disillusioned I went through the grief and the pain of all of that and there was a time in my life where I realized my mom wasn't looking for me and that created a whole nother um a whole nother side to it because it, it was it was apparent that I wasn't being searched for and I didn't know why. So I decided, Courtney, that if I wasn't being searched for, that means whatever that situation was that was going on, I didn't need to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. I was being spared that situation. And so I that opened the door. I actually really thought about how my life could have been in a variety of different situations you know your imagination can always get wilder than the truth but there was truth in that intuitive belief that I had that I was actually being spared something I wasn't I wasn't being blocked from an idyllic situation Right. So once I figured that out, I was I was able to accept what I did have and what I was able to discern about myself. I also knew from how emotional I am and how sensitive I am. I also knew that there was definitely some very extreme situations going on because my responses to things can be very extreme. So I was, I was figuring out epigenetics before I even knew what it was, 
And then once I really understood what epigenetics is, I understood that the feeling of being unwanted, which is something I had for a very long time, that feeling wasn't mine. I want to be here. I love my life. I love you know what I can bring to life. I love the people around me. I love the I I love life. Mm -hmm. Like there's that, no I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's no reason for me to go into that place where I'm I'm feeling like I'm unwanted or I'm unloved or like that that space is real, but it wasn't mine's. Right. It wasn't mine's. And once I realized this is something I can turn off because we can turn off our DNA. We can turn off stuff that pops up. We can turn off inclinations, addictions, tendencies, all that stuff that lurks in our DNA, we can turn it off. Mm -hmm. Once I understood I could turn it off, I turned it off. And my unconditional love for my life applies to whether I'm broke, I'm rich, I'm happy, you know what I'm saying? I'm healthy, I'm sick. I'm going to love you life as much as I can because I want you to understand that I'm so glad to be here. I'm not going to hold the rain against you. I'm not going to hold the bad times against you. I'm not going to hold the disappointments against you. I've been through storms before. I'll make it through it again. So that's the spirit and the energy of what the experience taught me. And if I was planning it to get to this space, mm -hmm. then mission accomplished. That's so beautiful. I think the other theme I was really thinking about that I keep hearing is there's a responsibility. You recognize that you have free will, you make choices and you take ownership of those choices, which is really beautiful to see. Um, I'm curious if you can speak to that. What are your thoughts on, on all of that? Well, now we can talk about the twin flame situation that I just found out. Okay. I had no idea it was even a such thing as twin flames, Courtney, until last year. I'm telling you, last year was like all that free time everybody had. It was, it was quite an experience to learn about it. So what makes the twin flame relationship the catalyst that other relationships might not be is the growth. Mm -hmm. So when I originally met the person who is, is most likely my twin flame, I was in my late twenties and our breakup was very painful for me because I felt like it was a lot of things that was, that were done unnecessarily. It just felt like, why did you come in here, shoot up my life, and then, you know, make me have to show you the exit? Because it was very hard to, like, even separate from this person. They were very tenacious. Mm -hmm. And so when I looked at that relationship, it took a couple of years because I had to go through the how dare he how dare he treat me this way? And he's the worst. And what a manipulative, what a, I had to go through all of that until I finally reached a point where I understood that I made a choice. Mm -hmm. I made a choice. I was not a victim in the situation. The first time the lie came out, the truth came out behind that lie, I should have checked it. I should have checked it and either walked away 
and let it just die on its own or I should have checked it and established how the relationship should have continued if it was capable of continuing in truth. So I realized I made that decision and then I made other decisions that caused him to look at me a certain way and caused you know, me to basically lower my own value in his eyes. So once I understood, look, I, I did this, I did that. Yeah, he did this and he did that. But because I responded like this and I responded like that, I was basically showing him how to treat me. I, I had to grow up. I had to grow up. And it was one of those beautiful but painful experiences because I was conditioned just like everybody else. He's a dog. He's a terrible person. He's he's um, a user. I, I was conditioned like everyone else to kind of look at the situation as black and white when it wasn't. It wasn't a black and white situation at all. Mm. So I wound up reconnecting with him at a time in my life when it was it was very painful. It was, it was my late 30s, early 40s. And when we reconnected, we were both in a very painful place. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to start, I didn't want to start a new relationship mm-hmm. from a place of pain. Mm-hmm. So it could have been a new chapter or it could have been the continuation of the hell. <laughs> <laughs> I made an executive decision, Courtney. Yeah, to, good. <laughs> to look at it, look at it for what it was. The timing was horrible. The timing was not good at all. And I still, I wind up regressing. Like I wind up dealing with the same issues that I was dealing with when I initially met him. Right. So you recreate the dynamic, sure. Ah, uh, do do you know? I thought I was an expert. I thought I will never go through this again or that again, and I did. I repeated it again, and so I knew that those patterns were about me, and I didn't want to start something new with those patterns still in place. It I, it was like I was swapping one situation for another. It just and he didn't want that either. Like as much as he as much as he hung in there for you know the years that he hung in there he didn't want he didn't want those patterns to continue and so i know that's that's the other part of the twin flame experience if you're not at your if you're not at your peak of unconditional love mm-hmm. knowing the oneness of life you're not going to reunite with that person it's it's just not going to happen so I discovered that, and there was a lot of telepathic communication going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was going on until I started looking closer at it. And when I, when I saw that I was being left messages and I was being left, um, Courtney, I know this sounds crazy, (laughs) but this is all true. This is all true. Like if you read the book and you see how I discover all of this, you're like, oh my God, this is so crazy. So I've I've had so many 
phone conversations about the twists and turns in the book. It's, it's just been amazing. But um, our telepathic communication just kind of let me know, you know, this was something out of the ordinary mm-hmm. and I'm still growing and I'm still, I'm still learning and I'm not putting any pressure on the situation to be anything other than what it is right now. It's, it's love from a distance, but at the same time, I know it's up to me to get to that place where I do accept the oneness mm-hmm. with all things. And I'm, I'm getting there. I am. <sighs> What, what do you feel, so what makes you feel like you are getting there and what are some steps you're taking towards that? Oh, that's a good question. So mirror, mirror work is very powerful. I've done mirror work in the past when I didn't even know what I was doing and it, it was life-changing and I've started back doing it now. I actually did it last year too. I did it when I was writing the book because okay. I wanted to be able to put my most authentic self on the page. Mm -hmm. So it really helped me to open up those veins and pour out, you know, pour out my utmost on the page. And I'm doing mirror work again Mm -hmm. to, to just deal with some of the places that I know I have neglected to love and I have rejected it within myself that I don't have to. I just, I just need to let all parts of me feel my love and acceptance of it okay that's beautiful really beautiful I'm curious your thoughts on uh and you can share what you want to share or not share but um I know for me like I have a personal uh relationship with this topic uh because of my own experience um I'm curious like your feelings on on abortion you know it's a very uh touchy subject right now you know I I think probably always is and always has been um maybe always will be but I'm curious as somebody who is a survivor of abortion you know if anybody is going to have an opinion on it I would think yours is quite you know one to hear (laughs) so my opinion is very nuanced Courtney I believe that a woman should always have the right to an abortion but I also believe that she needs to understand that every every being trying to incarnate is trying to incarnate for a reason. They're trying to come here for a specific person. Now, if you say, I don't want to participate in that, I think you have the right to say that. But I think before we even begin to talk about putting the kind of limits on abortion that they're talking about we need to really discuss how women in this country are not able to get a a, a tubal ligation or um, a permanent way of stopping them from reproducing when they know they don't want to have children it is one of the most archaic things i've met so many women who had to have that one child just so they could get their tubes tied because there's no doctor in the United States who will tie a woman's tubes when she knows she doesn't want to have children. 
If we could just do something with that issue, that issue alone affects millions of women. And I don't know if it's something that that is if, if it's a law or if it's or if it's just some type of ethical thing that doctors feel like they they don't, you know, they don't feel comfortable doing it, like waivers don't exist. Waivers exist. If a woman knows she doesn't want to have a child, don't force her to bring one into the world just so she can then, you know, get her tubes tied. I think that's so horrible. And I think more women would make that option early because you don't know. And, and doctors always feel like, well, you're too young. If you're 18 or 19 or 20, you you can't make that decision. Yes, some of these women can. Some of these women know they don't ever want to have children, but they cannot get the surgery. So I think if we if if we make a compromise as a society and say, what can we do about this? Because the idea of forcing people to have children that they don't want is a recipe for horrific abuse mm -hmm. for the most vulnerable people on, on the planet. You're telling people to bring into the world someone who's going to cry 20 hours a day or, you know, someone who's going to need you and demand things from you that if you didn't want to sign up for that, if you didn't want that experience, that's going to that's gonna be an unnecessary hardship on everybody. So I think we need to get together and we need to say, and women especially, because I don't think men should be excluded from the conversation, but I think women as women, we need to be more organized. We need to really talk about this. It's not just about, can I go get on the table and get an abortion? Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many abuses to that. I've, I've known of abuses to it where people are using it as birth control. Yeah. To a lot of people, that's offensive. Yeah, oh, I would think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah. so, uh, and I understand that too. I understand somebody being, I'm offended by it. It's, it's not necessary. Like, why are you not using birth control? Right. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's somebody, I'm sorry, go on. Yeah. We have to get together. We have to start having this conversation and then we need to tell the people in power what they need to do. That's, that's another thing. Stop letting, uh, letting ourselves be pushed around by these people in power. They work for us, damn it. They need to listen to us. Yeah. And we got to be reasonable too. We have to be willing to say, okay, we're going to compromise over here, but this is what you need to give us on this side. Right. Yeah, no, I absolutely couldn't agree more with that. Um, I, I was just going to say that as you know, when you were saying it's offensive to use it as birth control, I would think it's somebody, uh, you very much take ownership of your consequences. So if somebody values, you know, ownership of their, you know, taking personal responsibility, I would think that absolutely that would be very offensive. I very much feel the same way. I'm not familiar with, you know, that you brought up something that I'm really not familiar with at all, that women are having trouble with being able to get that procedure. I think that's probably a very different conversation. Um, you know, I think there, there's other ways to avoid, you know, so I, you know, there, people can abstain as well. People can use birth control. So there's a lot of other things, but I, 
because I'm not knowledgeable enough about that actually being a, an issue I, is not something I could speak to, but that is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Courtney, it's real. My, hold on, I'm, I'm gonna charge my phone. And come okay. I'm sorry, Courtney, bear with me one moment. Mm -hmm. Markel. Okay. All right, Courtney. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do believe in personal responsibility. I also recognize some people are not there. Enforcing mm -hmm. them to be there about an issue where there's a child involved mm -hmm. is dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said for, I, I understand the situations are nuanced and people are where they are. I totally, you know, get all of that. But I think there's definitely um, an issue in the culture where people are not incentivized to take responsibility. People are, um, you know, incentivized to put the blame on somebody else or to look for a quick answer. Um, and not to deal with the consequences of their actions. And Absolutely. that's very problematic. Absolutely, so. Courtney. One of the things that I want, one of the things I, I definitely want people to walk away with when it comes to us having conversations about this is mm -hmm. how there's so many other issues involved mm -hmm. around reproduction. You might have someone on drugs, Mm -hmm. You might have someone who's been abused. Mm -hmm. You might have someone who's actively being abused. And that's why, you know, there, there is a pregnancy. Yeah. So all of those situations call, call upon us to have compassion, but also creativity. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have to, I don't think we have to look at things in a black and white manner and cause cause very complex situations, especially if we're not supporting free rehab, if we're not supporting, I mean, do you, Courtney, do you know that there are people in this world who are aware that their child, their daughter is being molested and they, there's no law that says they have to report it there is no law that says if you don't report it, you're considered an accessory to this crime. I mean, there's so many different, there's so but many- I think the bigger problem, I just wanna interject there. I think a bigger problem is a moral issue. I mean, before we deal with laws, laws are you know a, a construct of government and uh, 
you know, this external uh, implementation, you know? So again, I go back to, this is a moral issue, a cultural issue. Um, people should be concerned. The family is, you know, the most, uh, you know, sacred uh, unity and uh, support system. So that's where I think something should be done. I think that's where somebody should be stepping in. It's not really, you know, to talk about legally, that's a, again, another conversation. Um, and it's one, I'm not saying it's not one worth having, but I think it starts with the values of the family and, you know, the sanctity of the family and the sanctity of life. Why wouldn't you want to protect the children? Um, that should be first and foremost is creating a safe and a fruitful environment for children. So uh, I don't think that that is, a, I, I don't think the first place to look for that is the, uh, the state, you know, that, that's just my belief, I think. Right. You know, yeah, so that's not to say that there couldn't be laws put in place for when there is a uh, breakdown in the family, um, but I absolutely think that's more indicative of something, yeah, deeper. Well, this, but this is where, this is where there is a serious complexity mm -hmm. that has to be considered. Sure. So if you're in a family where maybe for generations, mothers don't tell mm -hmm. this, because this is an ongoing pattern in that family, and I've seen it a lot, Courtney. Mm -hmm then you have to have an issue where, like, like you said, people need to be incentivized to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. If you're incentivizing people to root these issues out of their families, you do have to make it a part of the structure of the society because where your, your teachers are required to report certain things, mm -hmm. your doctors are required to report certain things. A parent who knows their child is being abused is not required. And that that really goes to how we don't value children in our society. That's what I'm an advocate for, mm -hmm. children's rights. Mm -hmm. A child has every right that an adult has. And there is a, a consistent lack of consideration for what might be ingrained mm -hmm. in that child's environment that should be addressed like openly. Mm -hmm. It should be addressed openly. So, you know, I agree that you don't start with the state. I agree with that. But I think some of these patterns are so ingrained in families is is something you have to you know you have to be able to address those things head on right right um i was gonna ask something i got startled i don't know if this bug is trying <laughs> um, but uh, you're saying about the the family and the state um oh this is what i was saying um that you said you think children have the same rights as, as adults American. Yes. Yeah, let me let me tell you. Yeah. Yes, I do. So I had an experience where my son was diagnosed with ADHD. And this is my oldest son. 
And I put him on the medication that they suggested I put him on. And um, he stayed on it for a little over a year. And then I found out that they don't want him to take it over the summer. So I thought, and I know I'm being controversial here, Courtney, I don't mind that. You know, I, I, I came to the planet to speak my mind and that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So when he got out for the summer and he told me, oh, don't, don't fill this prescription over the summer because you need to give his liver a rest. What? You didn't tell me this could potentially affect my son's liver. And then the idea of not giving him this prescription over the summer, but make sure he has it when school starts back, said to me, you're trying to control my son. Yeah. You're trying to control my son for the teachers, but you don't want him controlled over the summer when I'm going to be working with him over the summer to make sure he doesn't lose what he lost in school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the whole idea of them attempting to control my child pharmaceutically and then not telling me the freaking side effects was his liver could possibly fail. Like, I took him off. I took him off. I changed his diet. I um, looked at the underlying issues, with, which had a lot to do with the chaotic situation in our house because I was going through a divorce at the time. And so I kind of started adjusting, you know, my perspective on what was going on, people's larger agenda in some of these industries, especially the school system and especially the, the pharmaceutical industry. And so Courtney, I do not believe unless your child has a medical condition that requires a prescription for them to live I don't believe in putting children on psychotropic drugs some of those children and I've met them some of those children have long-term serious physical conditions that their diet or their environment being adjusted to meet their needs could have addressed without giving them a lifelong disability. Yeah, absolutely. As you pointed out with your son, it it was an issue of, you know, environmental stress dealing with uh, parents who were separating and that's incredibly, you know, distressing for a child. Um, Dietary issues can, you know, have a tremendous impact, uh, especially on a somebody who's young and growing. So yeah, there's so many environmental uh, factors that could be looked at. Um, I think there is also something, and this may just be my personal view, so I don't want to, you know, inject that any words into your mouth, but, you know, I think that uh, a lot of times young boys have a lot of energy, you know, they're, and that's, that's natural. And that's, that's yeah. a good thing, you know, yeah. we, we want them to have that energy and uh, yeah. we want them to channel that into, you know, sports and games and, you know, things that make boys be boys. So, right. Um, right. but I think that sometimes the, the teachers don't want to deal with that. Um, and it's easier to medicate them. It's easier to say they're being difficult. They're problematic, you know, 
um, than it is to really deal with what are some of, the, especially if they're dealing with some sort of emotional conflict that they don't yes. have at all, you know, yes. a lot of times they can't communicate. I mean, children don't always know how to communicate the things that are bothering them and upsetting them. And mm -hmm. they laugh, they act out, they lash out. Um, and not to say that they should just be permitted to lash out, but you should right. deal with that, address that. So, the context, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that needs to be dealt with, not medicated. Um, so I, I get, you know, kudos to you that you recognize that and that you took control of the situation because it's your child. Ultimately, if you want your child to be on pharmaceuticals, then, you know, whether I agree with it or not, doesn't matter. That, that's for you to decide. It's your son. Uh, but if you don't, it's not for the school to decide that. It's not for a teacher yes. to decide that. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. so, and I think it, it is something people should start asking questions. Why is it that schools and teachers and, you know, even doctors are putting so much pressure on young kids to take something that could have, you know, potentially very devastating uh, side effects? Uh, and not being upfront about what those uh, potential ramifications are. So, you know, it makes you wonder, like, well, what's going on here? Why is it so important that they take this? And why are you not telling me, you know, mm -hmm. what happened? So, you know, what happened to my informed consent? Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, did that, so, so did you, you took him off it completely and you were able, were you able to start working with some of the behavioral issues that you were seeing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really was able to, you, you know, there are parents out there who went through a situation similar to mine. And I'll, I'll tell you, they told me, look, you can get your son on disability. Like you can go and let him talk to a doctor and they'll send you a check every month if he's considered disabled. So I went and I sat down with the doctors, Courtney, and they were asking me some really strange things. Like, does your child hear voices? And does your child attempt to hurt himself or others? And I'm like, this is ADHD. This is, he's hyper and he has trouble sitting still. Like, where are y'all getting this from? So I was like, no, no, my son don't have none of that. So, so of course I was denied. I didn't get the check, but I've met a lot of young people whose parents said, yeah, yeah that that all of that everything you just said yeah my kid is doing it because now they get monthly income and wow. now that child is walking around with the label disabled and they want to continue to get their money so they go in there at the social security office every couple of years or whatever and they you know let that part let that doctor know they're going to display those symptoms I kept it real with my son about that. I told him, look, this is a label that does not have to follow you for the rest of your life. I'm not going to call you a person with ADHD. We are going to help you focus. We're going to, you know, do everything we can to harness your attention. If my son wanted to take apart a clock, I would let him do it. If he wanted to take apart, you know, something uh, minor appliances, he loved taking part in minor appliances. 
And at the time, my fiance was like, don't let him do it. It's dangerous. It's this and this and that. I'm like, look, he has it unplugged. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be watching, you know, if it's something that could potentially shock him or something. But I wanted him to have a way to focus his energy. Yeah. And to focus his attention. And so I was letting him do those things at a very young age to get him, you know, to reorient the way he saw himself because he was seeing himself as somebody who was incapable of focusing. And now he's both an electrician and a plumber. Awesome. He he put all those uh, uh, appliances to those skills of taking apart the appliances to work. Yeah. He is absolutely one of the most inspirational people you will ever meet because he knows how to tighten his his focus on something that he wants to do. And those aren't really his, he's curious about whether or not he can do those things, but those aren't really his strongest abilities. He's really an intellectual who, you know, should be an engineer and he's going to go back to school for that soon. But in terms of, you know, his skill level, when I noticed that he was interested in certain things, I wanted him to sharpen those skills and to be able to focus on improving himself over time. And that's one of the, that's one of the things I'm very happy we were able to give him within himself that confidence. And then my husband with my fiance at the time would take him on jobs with him, which he does uh, general contracting and flooring. So he was able to see, you know, someone who has 40 years of business experience focus on getting this floor laid perfectly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply focus on getting you know these um the carpentry or the cabinetry or whatever it is they were doing to focus on getting that done perfectly and then he got a chance to do it too so it it all kind of worked together for his good that's awesome that's really awesome what would what advice you would give other moms who are are dealing with that Right. I think there's a lot. I don't think you're alone in that situation. I think a lot of moms are being encouraged to, you know, give their kids some sort of medicine or something. Yeah. And what would you say to them? I would definitely say, look at everything in your child's environment. Look at the surroundings. Some of, the, some of the issues that we have with our children are just because we're not structured. Mm-hmm. We're not doing things in an organized manner. We're not doing things in a consistent manner. And if we're all over the place, believe your kid is gonna be all over the place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you set the tone by being structured, even if it's how you wake them up in the morning, I try to make a habit of never wake them up with stress, tension, 
anger, even if we're running late. Like if we're running late, that's probably my fault or it could be your fault, kid, but here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna make the best of this. We're gonna try to get out of this house on time to get you on school on time. And we're gonna, you know, we're just gonna take this day as it is. But that's the tone that we can set for our children in very small ways, but it makes a difference. It makes a strong difference. And I learned that too, when my older children were young, if I got up stressed out, yelling, screaming, where's this, where's that? And creating that energy within them, I would get a phone call. (laughs) Your child is this, and could you come pick them up? Because they're having a terrible day. And I'm like, you know, this might have something to do with me yelling at 6.30 for them to put their shoes on. Like, that's not good. That's not good. I can do better. And so I wake them up. I tell them I'm thankful for them. I used to pray with my older children. I kind of slipped from that. But um, we have beautiful, relaxed family time in the morning to start their day off right. And then, you know, they have responsibilities and they have duties and and they have to, you know, organize themselves and be able to take care of those responsibilities. And if they fail, they have repercussions from it and they already know. So it's no argument. So it's, it's, it's beautiful to just build a, a structure into your life yeah. that's going to give your child a consistency, something they know, okay, this is what time we eat. This is what time we go to bed. This is how we talk to each other. This is how we wake up in the morning. If you can set the tone with certain things, mm-hmm. you can turn it around. You can turn it into something beautiful and you don't have to rely on those drugs. You can also teach your child because I have used, um, I did use medication in the past when I was dealing with my depression. And I noticed what the medication was doing. I noticed how I was responding to certain thoughts and feelings when I was under the influence of the medication. So once I realized, hey, I'm letting things go where I used to hold on to them. Hey, I'm putting that, you know, in its place. That's a small thing that used to really bother me before. I'm not letting that get to me now. to the medication and then I got off of it because I know okay this is what I was telling myself when I was on this medication I'm just going to continue to tell myself that right yeah so you were able to use it as a a teaching tool for what works for you and and then not not let it become a crutch that you're forever dependent upon Um, then cause other complications whether it be physiological or psychological you know so on um i think i think that that's awesome yeah as you were able to really use it as a a tool and learn from it yeah so that i think is uh you know if people are going to i think that's the best way to use it it does just take the edge off um Mm -hmm. but i think a lot of people uh allow that edge to be taken off and so they become kind of numbed out right Um, that doesn't really Mm -hmm. serve you know not not as well as it possibly could (laughs) it's it's a dependency I had a, a girlfriend tell me one time 
that she saw um, at at the at the pharmacist a drug that had been discontinued. She saw the reaction people were having, and they were completely melting down. Like I don't believe we should allow anyone to have that level of control over our lives to the point where they can stop making that drug that helps us be in a better mood mm-hmm. and we completely lose our shit. Like we just can't function. We, we have to get on something else. You're a human being. You're, you're a part of the divine. You're a part of the greatest force mm-hmm. in the universe. That, that's not dependent on anything. Yeah, exactly. You are a miracle. Yes. I like it. <laughs> yeah. And take ownership of your free will. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's beautiful. So I, I think so many people feel pressured um, to take something, to look for something external to fix their problem uh, yes. instead of looking within and taking ownership, you know, and taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that there, as you were saying before, you know, there's always nuanced situations. Think most things in life reside, reside in the shades of gray, unfortunately, you know, they're not black and white. And I'm not saying that it's easy, but um, I do think that we have fallen into a, you know, cultural milieu that doesn't want to deal with uh, unpleasant emotions. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. so they don't want to take that kind of ownership. So what would, what, what, how would you suggest that somebody begin that process? Because you've done a lot of, you've done a lot of personal growth work. And you've done a lot of, of the hard work that a lot of people really just don't want to do. And some people don't think they're capable of doing. I think that that's mm-hmm. a, I, I don't believe that that's true, but I do believe that there are people who don't think they're capable. I think that part's true. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've yeah. heard that. Yeah, I have heard that. How did, how did I get the strength? How did I get this level of understanding? I think it was feeling like I couldn't control my emotions. Mm-hmm. I think it was feeling like something is going on. Like I, I, I would have such ex- extreme responses to things for me that I knew something else was going on. And so, like I stated before, epigenetics played a huge role in that because my mom is a very sensitive, very sweet person. She's she's um, someone who survived like the the horrific emotional abuse my mother survived, and we always think oh emotional abuse is not as bad as sexual or physical. Oh my God, yes it is. She survived such extreme emotional abuse that even, you know, as she was carrying me, she was carrying those feelings and emotions within her. And so I I want people to know that you must honor your feelings in order for you to get the value, the full value of how those feelings are there to serve you. But don't let your feelings rule and control you. Mm -hmm. They will do what you tell them to do. I Mm -hmm. promise they will. If you find ways Mm -hmm. of of 
looking at the beautiful, the wonderful, the blessed, even if it's the tiniest little things. Yeah. Tiniest little things get to just the taste of, of coffee with a little bit of cream and a little bit of sugar. Thank you, God. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, to be to be able to hug your the people that you love mm-hmm. to be able to experience colors mm-hmm. to go outside and breathe air I mean the little things you can get high you don't need no drugs to get high if you're paying attention to life life will keep you high all day long mm-hmm. so, I think that that's something that we have to kind of train ourselves because we're encouraged to look at the negative, look at the bad, look at who's doing this and doing that and look who's not doing this and who's doing that and look at who's to blame. And Mm -hmm. we're encouraged to not be in that space of really paying attention. Like life is like wonderful right now. Earth is weird. Earth is so weird. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) It will keep you going. What? Really? <laughs> like Earth is like a- right now. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yes, right now. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, Earth is like I, I always joke about how that if there are uh extraterrestrials that the reason that we have not met them is because they're like those earthlings that <laughs> got their stuff to handle they're way too they us. yeah we're gonna let them be you know we, we scan the room and we realize that they, they've got their mess right, we'll come we want no part of it yeah right. i always joke about that but yeah things are definitely really weird right now but I, I i agree there's so much to be grateful for there's so much to appreciate and i think that that is what uh, you know, uh, makes life worth living is when you're able to see all those things. I wanted to address you said about like your emotions, that you're, you know, to have them and to, uh, you know, then you can kind of control what you do with them. I, I see it a little bit differently. I see it more that, you know, we don't have much control over what emotions we have, but we very much have control to how we respond to them what we do with those emotions you know just because i'm angry does not mean i need to go run around throwing things at people i mean you know that may be what comes up for me but uh, probably not going to like what happens after that if i if i execute those uh, those desires so yeah i can be like okay i'm angry and you know what can i do now to you know to honor that and to move yes. through it. you know maybe I'll go to the gym maybe I'll punch some pillows right Courtney I'm so glad you brought that up because when when you practice the law of attraction I've been practicing the law of attraction for oh my god probably 20 years now seven my son is 17 probably 18 years now before I even knew it was called a law of attraction, that's how much I was I was into, you know, noticing that. But I found out that you don't have to always be positive or pretend to be positive sure. to get the universe to open up and give you beautiful, wonderful gifts. You have to be authentic. Yeah. If you are authentically whatever that is, like I like I was stating before in the book, I was 
going through hella grief. I was going through times when I would wake up crying. Mm -hmm. I was going through times when I, the guilt, the shame, all the grief process I went through. And never once did the universe say, God, you cried two hours today. I'm not giving you nothing. That was so <laughs> negative. Right, right. Never said that the universe said, baby, I understand. Let me give you this person to speak life into you. But let me give you this experience mm -hmm. to show you, even though you're feeling like this right now, life is going to go on. You're going to love again. Your baby is not hurting. She's not in pain anymore. And I just thank God that the universe was not holding my quote unquote negative feelings against me. Right, right. No, we we all have them. Yeah, that that is part of the human experience. It's not always, you know, rosy and full of rainbows and sunshine. So, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that too. But sometimes it's you know less pleasant. So, yeah, definitely need to need to deal with both. That's a reality. So, <laughs> yeah. What is your advice for people who? are i think a lot of people are going through a pretty hard time right now a lot of people okay uh, yeah i'm good okay and now i can't hear you definitely I can't hear you. Courtney. Can you hear me? Very little, barely. Okay. Is, is this better? No. Speak again. Can you hear me a little bit better now? No. Super weird. I, I don't know what you do differently, but. I don't either. I just had a phone call that came through, and maybe it's still trying to release the meeting again. Can you hear me a little bit better now? I can barely hear you. I wonder if I make this louder to compensate. Okay. Try speaking. Okay, how's that? It's still super soft. I don't know. It's soft. Oh. Hmm. I think this just makes me feedback, but. Okay. I don't know what happened. Let me, let me see if I turn my volume down over here. Okay, how's this? Is that a little better? It's not, no. It's very weird. Like a, I can hear you, but it's very soft. Like before you were loud and clear. Okay. Let me make sure I hung up the phone. Yeah. Let me make sure that was better. Okay, so the phone is hung up.
going back to it's still really quiet it's it's very quiet yeah that's better that's better if i pull it in a little bit more it is but it's still not like it was before so i don't know do you think i should go out and come back in I think so. Yeah. And we, we can wrap up. I'm really going to ask you just kind of like your closing. Um, yeah. And then just the, like kind of, yeah, words of advice for people during this time. Um, Cause I think a lot of people are going through kind of like grief and uh, you know, feeling like out of control and feeling a lot of despair. And so, yeah, so you can speak to that. Yeah. But I want to be able to hear you. <laughs> so yeah, that would help. So try it. Hey. Hey. Oh, that's so much better. Oh, awesome. So okay, it was probably the phone calls messed everything up. Okay. Uh, that's super weird. All right. <laughs> so I feel like we're in a time where a lot of people are feeling uh, grief, loss, despair, um, Mostly a sense of being out of control, I think, is something very prevalent in this current zeitgeist. <laughs> um, so what are some, since these are things you write about in your book, there are definitely themes that have come up in this conversation. So I'm curious what, if you have any kind of words of wisdom or guidance for people, um, how to handle that, how to navigate it, and how to you know, work with it. Absolutely. The first thing I want to say is keep your faith. Mm -hmm. Keep your faith. I know some of the things that are happening now are just unprecedented. And so 
as human beings, sometimes we're called upon to be more creative than we've ever been before, to be more resilient and resourceful than we've ever been before. And I want any and everybody out there to know you can do it. You can meet this challenge. You can evolve to the next level. You can overcome this too. You don't have to sink. You can swim. Mm -hmm. Even if it's doggy paddling. Even if you can barely, you know, barely keep your head above the water. Just let every single day show you something beautiful that you're willing to write down and acknowledge and the expansion that comes from that simple perspective is life-changing. Yeah, that, that's so profound. And I think that is so true. Thank you. You're yeah. Welcome. Yeah, it's really beautiful and it's really needed right now. So yeah, well, this has been awesome. Please tell if you have any other things you want to add or say any closing remarks, then please do. And also tell everyone where they can find you and where they can find your book. Absolutely, Courtney. So I want everyone to know that it's always a pleasure to talk about these beautiful and wonderful experiences because there's been so many times people came into my life and shared a message with me that was just what I needed at that time. And so I hope if you're hearing this and this is just what you need at that time, just pass it on, just pay it forward. If you want to find out more about my book, which I hope you do, you can always go to Barnes and Nobles. That's my preferred vendor. Um, you can go to Barnes and Nobles. You can also go to Amazon. You can go to Kobo and you can get it in an ebook or you can get it in a soft, uh, soft copy. The name of the book is The Eve in Us All. And it's a memoir of love, loss, and miracles. And you can always go to my website, Serene Seas, to join my email newsletter to keep up to date with different content because I'm still writing down my miracles. I'm still sharing some of them. I'm going to get better about sharing them every day because it's just that good, y'all. It's just that juicy. But if you want to check out Serene Seas Books, that's serenesteesbooks.com. That's where you see my blog. You see other places that I've been and, and shared the experience. And you can leave feedback. You can leave comments. I'm, I'm always open to that. And yeah, that's how they can reach me. That's awesome. I have a question for you. I have two questions for you, actually. So one is, what made you choose that title? It so yeah. <laughs> the, the even us, the even each one of us is our curiosity, mm. is our desire to learn and our desire to develop and grow. And it's one of the things that has kind of been demonized, like we've kind of glorified ignorance. Mm -hmm. And that's not what I, I don't believe in the evolution that's taught in schools. I believe we do evolve but I believe we consciously, intelligently evolve. And so that's what the Eve in the Bible represented. And I think that Eve got a bad rap. I, I, I explain why I believe that in the book, Courtney. But I think the spirit of Eve, of what she was trying to do, 
was to just create a situation where she would know. She she just wanted to know. And our inner longing to know, to expand, to grow is something that has to be embraced in order for us to go to the next level. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Well, you know, my words for my logo are curiosity, resiliency, empowerment. So, yes. so that uh, very much speaks to that. So I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And then my next question for you. So you went through, uh, did you self-publish or did you, uh, you did? Wow. I did, okay. yeah. Um, and was that like a, what, what kind of a process was that like for you? It was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was hard. I had, um, I went through some of the sites where you can get freelance people to help you with it. And sometimes there was a language barrier. So I probably want to have that if I would have just went straight American, you know, people to do the work. But it was beautiful because the book turned out amazing. The cover, the, the interior, everything turned out beautifully. But it was not an easy process at all. Um, I, I felt like this, if any book would have possibly been accepted by a major house that I've written, I feel like this one would have been. Mm-hmm. But I felt the, the urgency of getting it out now because so many people are grieving. So many people are being affected by the upheaval that's mm-hmm. going on. So I wanted the book to to be a beacon of light, a beacon of hope for people. So if you got a traditional way, sometimes it might be two years before your book is published. And I was like, no, no, this one needs to go out right now. I want it to be available to people right now. And you know, I I kind of I kind of had to pay. I paid for that, but it was worth it. Ah, uh-huh. that's awesome. It's and it's so interesting to hear their process because. There's definitely pros and cons on both sides. And I'm always curious what, what the experience was like and why people choose one versus the other. So with anything really, but yeah. So, well, thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Courtney. You're so flexible and so generous. I, I really enjoyed our talk and I hope we get to have one in the future when the next project comes out. Yeah, we'd love that. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.